Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Good morning, Venture. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Like Tim said, my name is Charles. I am both a high school pastor and the family ministry director here at Venture. Excited to be closing out the Family Matters series with you guys this week. Two weeks ago, Tim started off and gave us a little marriage checkup, just a little bit of a peek underneath the hood to see how we were all doing. And honestly, that makes sense to me. Uh, My kids are the same age as Tim's youngest kids. And so we kind of have the chance to, you know, I get to see him not just here in the office and get to see his marriage and whatnot. I think like, yeah, it makes sense that Tim is teaching about marriage. And last week, Pastor Chuck came and taught about singleness. And I was like, man, you were 38 before you got married. You have some credibility to teach about singleness. Uh, But this week I'm teaching about parenting. And honestly, I feel like I am not the subject matter expert to come teach to you guys about parenting. I was 21 when I got married. 22 when I had my first child, and I thought that this wasn't possible, but 23, 13 months later, where I became a a dad to my second son, I have a picture of me as a 23-year-old with two children. As the high school pastor, I feel like I'm pretty familiar with just like high school development, and looking at this picture, Charles, you look like a high schooler with two children. (laughs) What's going on here? I feel like all of my learning uh, to be a parent has just been on the job learning, trying to figure it out as I go. And so by no means not the subject matter expert, I was sharing a little bit about that insecurity with a wiser parent at the football game on Friday. And he said, Charles, honestly, you need to start with that and you need to lean into it because especially this church, this church is not leaning on subject matter experts but leaning on spirit-empowered scriptures where we say, hey, thus saith the Lord. And so kind of with that introduction, if you guys wouldn't mind turning to Ephesians chapter six, Ephesians chapter six, we're gonna be in the first four chapters of that verse, or excuse me, the first four verses of that chapter. The apostle Paul is the one who wrote the book of Ephesians, and he is the theologian extraordinaire, the guy who wrote half, over half of the New Testament, the guy who really put flesh and bones on the Jesus movement there in that first century, traveled the world, planting churches. And in Ephesians chapter six, he has this incredibly concise and important instructions, both to children and to parents. Here we go. In verse number one, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we need your wisdom. We need your protection for our families. God, for for every person sitting in this room, regardless of what stage of life they're in, Lord, we need to hear from you. But God, especially this morning, 
We do pray for our families. We pray for the married people in this room who've become one flesh through holy marriage. Dear Lord God, that you would preserve love in those relationships. God, I pray that you would soften hearts. You would turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to the father. God, I pray that you would preserve the integrity of our homes, that they'd be places that are filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. God, speak to us this morning. Praise things in your name. Amen. We see here in this chapter just core commands. And the core commands that Paul starts with is for children. He says, children, here is what you need to know. Children are to obey and honor their parents. As Paul is talking about this, he's quoting Exodus chapter 20s, the 10 commandments that are given to the Israelites on Mount Sinai. And he says, quoting from the 10 commandments, he says, hey, the moral responsibility for everybody who is a child, and that at some point in our lives includes every one of us, is to honor our father and our mother. Obedience is the application that comes out of the moral responsibility that is honoring. And so Paul comes in this passage and he says, obey and honor your father and your mother. And he kind of sweetens the deal a little bit. He says, hey, this comes with a promise. The promise for obedient children is that it will go well with you, that your days may be long. And honestly, uh, as a parent of four kids now, uh, I waited a little bit longer for my two girls. I kind of felt like, all right, we need, to, we need to prepare a little bit more. But as a parent of four, I, I just, in the core of my being, I know obedience is so important. If kids, my kids especially, but kids in general, could just get these two truths, honor and obey your mom and your dad, life would be so much easier, right? And it's not like we want honor and obedience because like we want to be tyrannical rulers over our kids. It's like, no, no, no. I don't want you sprinting away from me when we come out of Target because I don't want you to get run over by a car. I want you to do your homework so that you actually get into college and be able to have a job. I want you to do the dishes because mom and dad are going to like die if we have to do one more load of dishes after having just done them. We want honor and obedience from our kids because it's what they need. And of course, blind obedience isn't isn't something that uh, we're asking for from our kids. But I would say in 90% of situations, man, if kids would just honor and obey their parents, what a better world we would live in. And yeah, I, I was about to go there. If you, have, if you have kids of your kids of your own, or if you're uncle or aunt or something, and you resonate with that, next time I say it, could you either clap or shout out amen or something? I, here we go. Uh, our world would be a better place if kids would honor and obey their parents. <laughs> Honestly, I'm playing with you guys a little bit. The title of today's message is about parenting. It's not necessarily about uh, kids, Um, but for the kids that are in this room, kids that are related to me sitting here in the front row, (laughs) this is important advice. And as parents, we do know this would change everything if they would just obey. 
but here's the, here's the reason I wanted to include the verse about children. Because in the same way that we know that kids would be way better off if they would just obey this simple command, I think it's in that same vein, that same level of importance, that same emphasis that we can take to Paul's next verse in verse number four, where Paul gives the second of the core commands. When he says, hey, here's what the job is for kids. He kind of shifts gears and he says, here's the responsibility for parents. And in the same way that it's simple and important for kids, but so hard to do, the command that Paul gives to parents is simple and it's important, but man, it's hard to do. In Ephesians chapter four, or excuse me, chapter six, verse four, he shifts gears and he talks to parents and he gives the second core command. The second core command is this, parents don't provoke your children to anger. And again, simple instructions. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The reason that this is so important is because the, the relationship that parents have with their kids has a significant effect on how kids view God. There's no getting around it. The way that we relate to our kids has a giant, a significant impact on how kids then relate to God. And, and it's not the only factor, but if, if we're comparing one to the other, I spend a lot of time looking at kids' curriculum, making sure that the kids that we teach up on Sunday morning are getting good biblical instructions. But could I tell you something? Your relationship with your kids is way more important than what we're teaching them on Sunday morning. I send my kids to Christian school. Two of them are here at Venture Christian Academy. Two of them are over at Valley Christian Schools. And I am like, I, I am paying a price for my kids to go to a Christian school. But can I tell you, my relationship with my kids is way more influential on how they view God than the curriculum at that Christian school. I, I think church attendance is important. I think things like baptizing and, and uh, waiting for the right time for your kid to get baptized and even uh, the sacraments like communion that we just took, I think that those things are important. But can I say that your relationship with your kid has way more influence over their relationship with God than church attendance, sacraments, or anything like that? Uh, the author of The Shack uh, gave an interview and uh, I have, haven't actually read The Shack or watched the movie, um, but watching this interview, it was so significant. His name was, I can't find it in my notes here so I don't mess it up. His name was William Young, excuse me. William Young, when he wrote The Shack, gave this amazing picture of God, of somebody who is for you in this self-sacrificing love, satisfying like the deepest hungers of our hearts. And in the interview, as he's talking about how this view of God developed, he said it's actually a giant struggle for him early on in life. His dad was actually a Christian, a missionary, uh, significantly devoted to the cause of Christ. When he was a young kid, I think he was like age two or something, his family moved to New Guinea and were missionaries in an unreached people group there in New Guinea. He was a kid walking around, the one white kid in the, in the village running around with a loincloth, not knowing that he himself was white and different from the other kids. And so a devoted Christian family, but a super angry dad. 
angry dad that allowed abuse to happen to William. And he said that in order to get a clear picture of God, it took him 50 years of life. The last 10 years of that, from the time that he was 40 to 50, he was in like just brutal ongoing counseling, tearing down just the the mental image that he had of God that was there from his dad. He said it wasn't until he was 50 that he was able to wipe the face of his dad off of the face of God. The relationship that we have with our kids has a significant impact on how they view God. And honestly, this command where it says, do not provoke our kids to anger, I think is so significant. The time that I noticed it uh, clearly in my own ministry was on a trip to Costa Rica. I had a group of seniors with me. Uh, it wasn't at this church, it was at another church. We had gone to Costa Rica for a longer missions trip. I think it was like 10 days, 14 days, something like that. And one of the kids that was on the trip was one of my closest friends there in the youth group. Uh, he was a senior and he was a great kid. I had had him all the way from the time that he was a freshman through now when he was a senior. And he was the one that like, I was so impressed with. He did well in school. He volunteered at church. He was so respectful to adults. And honestly, as I watched his parents parent him, I was taking notes. One time we were at youth group, we were having a conversation and he kept looking down and checking at his watch, checking out his watch. I was like, John, what's going on? Like, what's the rush? He goes, my dad will be here at nine. He will be leaving at 9.01. If I am not in the parking lot at nine o'clock, I'm walking home. I was like, oh, okay. And from my perspective, I was thinking like, I'm, I'm writing that down. I'm telling my kids, like, I will be there at X, and I'm leaving right after that. I was impressed with their parenting until Costa Rica. At Costa Rica, John broke down. It could have been the uh, physical labor that we had him doing. It could have been the little bit of uh, just interpersonal struggles that were happening there in the group. But late one night, John blows up and he storms out. It took me a little bit to find him. And eventually there uh, in the rain, he's kind of huddled under a little bus stop shack looking thing, just kind of like crouching down on the floor. And I sit down with him and John says, I'm done with it. He had a large scholarship to go to a Christian university. He says, I don't, want to go to, I don't want to go to a Christian college. In fact, I'm done with church. I'm done with God. I'm done with Christian environments. I can't take it anymore. I can't take the pressure that's placed upon me to be perfect. I'm done with all of it. As we started walking through and processing his anger and his frustration uh, and all of the insight that I had to his relationship with his parents from before that, I kind of felt God asking me or prodding me to ask him, John, is there any chance that you're not actually angry with God, but you're just angry with mom and dad? Waterworks. Just (laughs) sitting there as an 18 year old boy crying there in the rain, realizing that his relationship that he had with his parents has significantly fractured the way that he viewed God. I'm not sure that it wasn't just Costa Rica and difficulty, but that moment was impactful for me. Wanting, wanting to come into parenting, knowing that there is some pressure that we need to put on our kids in order for them, in order to raise them up in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, but it really is possible to put too much pressure on him. I called John and asked him, hey, John, uh, I'm going to share this story with a thousand people. Is that okay? 
And he, after thinking about it for a little bit, he said, hey, Charles, actually lean into this. I think it might've been better for me to get a few more B's instead of A's and not be so angry at my parents. The instructions that Paul gives are significant. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. In this, we know that, we know that there are a million and one ways that we get this wrong. And so let's, let's just hang out in the, in the negative zone for a while and let's ask the question, well, how do we mess up? How do we mess up? Two things, two ways that I think we mess up and then just a broad category to cover all of the rest. One of the ways that I think we mess up is too much discipline. And again, don't hear me wrong. The Bible clearly states, bring up children, or excuse me, in Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way that he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart of it. We are encouraged to discipline our kids. That same word that's used discipline here in Ephesians chapter six is, translate, is used again in Hebrews chapter 12. And it says, uh, if we are left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so the only children that, that don't get disciplined, he says, that's, it's almost like you're getting treated like an illegitimate child according to Hebrews chapter 12. And so discipline is important. But again, from the story, I think we can all say that too much discipline can be a problem. One of the ways that we mess things up is by too much discipline. The second way that I think that we can mess up as parents is by too little discipline, too little discipline. When parents don't have consistent boundaries in place, even kids who are constantly pushing on those boundaries, no, this isn't love. If you're gonna love us well, we need to have some discipline. We need to have some restrictions in place. We need to have some boundaries in place. They wanna push up against those boundaries to know like, okay, okay, I'm safe in here. One of the ways that we can frustrate our children is by too little discipline. But then the third category that I wanna give you guys for how we mess things up is just other. <laughs> Profound, I know. There's a million and one ways as parents. I mean, we get a lot of days with our kids. And so we get a lot of opportunities to mess things up. I was listening to a message by Louis Giglio. It's called The Perfect Father. Uh, if you listen to sermons, you should search that one up on YouTube. It's fantastic. But in his message, he describes six different types of parents. He's talking specifically about dads. Uh, for our purposes, we'll kind of broaden it and talk about parents. And he says, there's six different types of parents. The first type of parents is the absent parent, right? Whether it was from death, divorce, or just the decisions that they've made, the parent's not there. He's not part of the kid's life. He's just absent, he's gone. The second type of parent is maybe a little bit worse. He's the abusive parent. He's the parent that actually caused harm. It wasn't that they weren't there, it was that they were actively harming their child. And just the baggage and the weight and the guilt and the shame that comes along with an abusive parent. Beyond that, Lou Giglio also talks about the performance-based parent, the performance-based parent, where it's like, hey, hey, no, I love you, I love you, I love you, but you could have done better. And I'll love you more if you're able to do like, I was at your game, why did you do that? And it's a performance-based type of acceptance and love where the kid's always trying to measure up, always trying to show that, hey dad, I, I'm reaching up to your goals, the performance-based parent. 
And then there's the passive parent. The way that Louis, Louis describes it is he's present, but he's not really part of the story. He's kind of off to the side doing his own thing. And for whatever reason, he isn't engaging. She isn't engaging. She isn't actually part of the development of the kids. She's just passive. And then from all of those, there's one, or there's one more bad parent, I uh, assume, or I see from my list, the antagonistic parent. And this parent's almost like a confrontational force. It's almost like you have to go through them and be able to prove that you will rise up and be able to do something. And there's an antagonism in the home. It's like, excuse me, son, what's up, daughter? And there's an antagonism that comes from that parent. And then lastly, he talks about the empowering parent, the empowering parent, the parent that's there, that's encouraging, that's giving that, uh, giving that unconditional love. He, 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 tells the, the, he tells the story of describing this parent by the parent going up to the upstairs where his three kids are getting ready to go to bed. And he walks into the first door just loud enough for all three kids to be able to hear, comes to his youngest and he says, hey, bud, love you. Just wanna let you know, you're my favorite. Don't tell anybody else. Have a good night's sleep. See you in the morning, buddy. He goes over to the next room. He goes, hey girl, how, you get all your homework done? Just wanna let you know, I love you. I love you more than everybody else. Make sure you don't tell any of the other kids that you're my favorite. Have a sweet dreams, go to sleep. Goes over to the third bedroom, opens the door, does the same thing. He says, you're my oldest, bud. I love you. I love you more than all of them. You've been here from the beginning. It's you and me, ride or die. I love you more than everybody else. Don't tell anybody else. Good night. And that's what we've been want. That's, that's what we want as kids. That unconditional love and encouragement from dad. That uncondition, unconditional love and support from mom. And the empowering parent is not a pushover. That's the passive. That's a passive parent. The passive parent who's not willing to get engaged, not willing to set standards. The, the empowering parent is the one who's, who loves unconditionally, but is still there to encourage. To say like, hey, no, that's not how homers do it. That's not how, that's not how we do it as a family. And there's this empowering that goes on. When I heard this list of six parents, I honestly got like a little bit anxious and frustrated because there's, there's days when I'm an empowering parent but man, I see those five other types of parents pop up more often than I would like. And I see that it's not just too much discipline. It's not just too little discipline. There are a myriad of ways that me as a dad can really not hit the mark that I want to as a dad. That's how we mess things up. And so let's come back and let's go to the scripture. The third point that we see today is what parents, what should parents do? What should parents do? The first thing is this, bring children up. In that blank, write in big words, go over it twice. Relationship, relationship. We bring kids up. There's the, uh, there's the, there's the phrase raising children. And the, the history of it is it's an old Roman phrase where a child after he was born would be brought to his Greek parents and be set in front of his Greek dad. And the parent had an option. Either he would raise this child up and in that decide that this is going to be part of my family, this is going to be my child, 
Or if he refused to raise the child up, the child would be taken away and would be exposed, would be uh, left out to the elements. And so bringing children up, it's us choosing our children. It's, it's us getting in and saying like, you're, you're mine and I'm for you. Relationships. Theodore Roosevelt said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think this is such important advice for parenting. Your kids don't want to know how much you know unless it's built on the foundation of how much you care. And so here's the question that I have for you guys, similar to the marriage checkup, here's kind of just a little question for you to think about for a little bit. What are your weekly rhythms that build relationship with your kids? What are your weekly rhythms that build relationships with your kids? There's a study, There was a study by the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse from Columbia who studied meal times with kids. They compared kids that ate with their families two times or less to families that ate with their kids five times or more. And in those two groups, they found interesting differences. Kids that ate more with their families were four times less likely to smoke, two and a half times less likely to use marijuana, half as likely to drink alcohol. There were effects on grades, school performance. There were significant effects on, uh, on mental health issues. Just by this weekly relational building opportunity of eating with your family. So again, what are your weekly rhythms that build relationships with your families? Uh, it's, it's a little bit awkward now with my teenage boys. They're like my size. Uh, one of the things I used to do is crawl into bed with them as they're going to sleep and give them back scratches. For some reason, my 16 year old, my 15 year old don't really want that in their life anymore. I don't understand. Uh, but one of the things that my girls still appreciate is just a nighttime routine, a quick back scratch, uh, my terrible voice singing Amazing Grace as they're falling asleep. Just weekly routines of building relationships. What are your weekly routines? Relationship is a key part of bringing our children up. Secondly, Paul says discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction. Discipline, when you look at that word, it, it does carry the weight of chastening, firmness, enforcing boundaries. The word discipline is probably a good translation, even with its like harsher uh, connotations. It's talking about rules and the rules and consequence sides of parenting. Back in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, that same word for discipline is used. And it says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And so this is the painful side of parenting. It's the consequences that come along with it. But Paul says, although discipline is important, what you need to balance it with is instruction. That word instruction there, though it seems just like teaching, it carries a warmer tone. It has to do with counseling, dialoguing, reasoning, reasoning, listening to, persuading. It's the, it's the like converse, conversational side of parenting. Hey, let's chat about this. And these two things have to be balanced together. As you look through the scripture and you look for the balance of this kind of like harshness and, and love at the same time, you'll start to see it all over the place. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul gives the recommendation to speak the truth in love. And we see both of these things, truth, 
There's not changing it. It's just matter of fact, two plus two is four. If you break these rules, here's the consequences. Here's the truth of it, but he balances it out. Speak the truth in love. In John chapter one, as John is describing the coming of Jesus, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as he describes Jesus, he says he was full of grace and truth. It's a balancing. You have to have the discipline side of it, but you also have to have the, the instructional, the warm, the counseling side of it. Which side do you lean? I am a disciplinarian. <laughs> I can't help it. I just, I have, I have rules and I want to be followed. And it's just like, do what I say. And this, the encouragement that I need is, hey, I need to grow in the instruction side of it, the relational side of it. When you think about your balance of discipline and instruction, which side do you need to grow in? Where are your weaknesses? Which way do you lean? <clears throat> the last way that we become the parents that we wanna be isn't in the passage, but what I think we all need to do is look for a good example. Look for a good example. Both research, both from research and experience, I know the best way to get something right is by having a good example. That's why anytime I try to do anything with my car, I will only do it if there's a YouTube video that show me exactly how it's done, right? I just need somebody to walk, walk me through it. As a parent, uh, like I said, it was all on the job learning for me. I started too young. I think the only reason that my kids are not like wards of the state or not in my household anymore is because I had good examples from my parents that they, though not perfect, did a good job bringing kids up, not provoking us to anger, but bringing us up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. And so the question under this part is, who are the good parents that you know? Who are the good parents that you know? Maybe it's, maybe it's grandma and grandpa and you need to buy them coffee and be like, hey, let's, let's download this real quick. What'd you do as a parent? Honestly, good parents, love talking about what they did. They love it. A couple years ago, we were out trick-or-treating. We had a large group of people there and there was some older parents and some younger parents. And one of the younger parents comes up to the older parent and said, hey, your girls are so well-behaved. They're respectful. They know how to talk to adults. They're caring for the little ones. How do you do this? And for the next 45 minutes in between doors of trick or treat and you know, making sure the kids don't run out into the street, the older parent was just like, I was waiting for this day my whole life. And just going through, here's the books that I read, here's the retreats that we went on, here's the things that we did. Good parents love sharing what they did about their parenting. So who are the good parents that you need to connect with? Who are the good parents in your small group that you need to ask them this week, what did you do? What did you do right? What did you do wrong? Help me to download how to be a good parent from your example. But even if you don't have an opportunity to go trick-or-treating with a good parent, there's one ultimate example that we need to learn from. Honestly, when I was reading Ephesians chapter six and kind of hanging out in there, trying to prepare for this message, I got frustrated with the passage. I know that pastors aren't supposed to do that, but I was, I just like, it's just one verse, but this is hard to do. What do you mean? How am I supposed to parent without provoking my kids to anger? Like knowing the balancing act of the discipline and instruction. I was just like, God, this is hard. And then I went back, I rewound a little bit and started that back in Ephesians chapter one. 
Ephesians chapter six is not the first time that parents and parenting is mentioned in the book of Ephesians. It's just the first time our responsibility is mentioned. When you rewind back to the beginning of Ephesians, we see that the ultimate example of parenting that Paul's giving is the example of God's fathering us. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter one. In Ephesians chapter one, it says, blessed be God, the father. And honestly, just right there, God, the father. It's only 15 times in the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, God as father is mentioned 15 times. As we step into the New Testament and Jesus begins to give us a fuller, more robust picture of God, he uses God as father 168 times in the four gospels. As Paul steps in and he starts writing his letters, he uses God as father 40 times in his letters. And this idea is significant. In Romans chapter eight, as Paul is talking about God, our father, he says, we have not been given the spirit of fear, but given the spirit of adoption, whereby we can cry out. And he gives this like intimate term, Abba, father, daddy, papa. And it's almost like, Paul, I don't know if you're allowed to go there. I don't know if you're allowed to go to that level of intimacy, but Ephesians chapter one, he says, God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. This is the thing that we've wanted from our parents all along, their blessing. You're doing a good job. From the time that we were little tykes jumping into the pool saying, dad, watch me, dad, watch me, dad, watch me. We've wanted our parents to be able to say, I see you, I'm proud of you. Like you have my love, you have my affection. We've wanted that blessing from our parents. And God, the father says, you've got it. God, the father says, I've blessed you in Christ Jesus. There's no stopping the amount of blessing that I have for you. And then he goes on. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He chose us. You're, you're, not a re, you're not the resented kid that God is trying to get rid of. He chose you, he adopted you. He goes on, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We're part of his will, like he's written us in. We were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Man, we're secure in his love. This isn't like a measure up or else you're out of the family. He said, no, the Holy Spirit has sealed you. It's a legal thing. It's like forever, you are now part of God's family. Anybody who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus is part of God's family. We're sealed. Going on in chapter number two, it says that he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have a seat at the table. There's no kid's table where it's like, hey, you, you rascals are over there not bothering the older adults. We have a seat with Jesus at the table in order to be a good parent. And honestly, if you're not a parent in this room, you can take that parenting out and just fill in the gap. In order to be a blank, you have to experience God's love for you. It's non-negotiable. If you try to do parenting out of your own strength, it'll be a frustrating experience. When you realize that your parenting 
comes because you have been parented by the heavenly father that blessed you, chose you, adopted you, sealed you, seated you at the table with Christ. It just becomes the natural outflowing. We're not parents who grit our teeth and say like, I'm going to balance discipline and instruction. We are parents who say, I am so loved that I have the freedom to be able to parent my kids well is overflowing within us. We don't need better behaved kids to be good parents. We don't need God to take away our health challenges to be good parents. We don't need more money so that money isn't the, pro the, the problem that we're dealing with to be good parents. What we need is to experience God's love for us. And here's the good news. That's available for you today, right now. It's available for you tomorrow that you can sit in God's presence and say, God, fill me up so that I can love my kids well. And again, it's not just for parenting, it's for every aspect of life. If you're going at this in your own strength, you're not strong enough. If you go at this, knowing that you are a child of the King, so loved that he put his son on a cross so that he could invite you into his family. Man, that, that love that fills us up gives us the strength to do that we, what we must need to do. And so here's the invitation for you. Have you trusted God's love for you? And then maybe even more significantly, have you experienced that love recently? If not, could I, could I recommend this week? Man, go listen to Louis Giglio's message. Pop in some worship in your, in your AirPods and just think like, uh, I'm gonna take 10, 15 minutes in order to experience God's love for me because that is the foundational need that we have in order to be good parents. Jesus has already paid the price showing that I love you more than you could ever be loved as we experience that love, we are able to work out of that. Let's pray together. Dear God, I pray that this church, both right now, and then as we go our separate ways, would experience your love. And from the abundant life that you give us, God, would you allow us to be parents that bring our kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord for your glory, to change this world, to see your kingdom come, your will be done. Pray these things in your name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.